0: This podcast was produced in partnership with Post-Industrial Media. Post-Industrial produces original journalism in podcast, print, online, and video, covering communities in transition around the world. Join our community today by visiting postindustrial.com. A heads up to listeners. This episode features gunshots, intense violence, and offensive language. Okay, here we go.
1: The hearings of the... Subcommittee on Terrorism of the Judiciary Committee will now come to order.
0: That's the late Senator Arlen Specter convening a U.S. Senate hearing in June 1995.
1: These hearings have been convened to inquire into a number of questions. First, to what extent, if at all, do the militia pose a threat to public safety and the federal government... And the other side of that coin is, to what extent are Americans joining the militia because they feel, rightly or wrongly, that the federal government poses a threat to their constitutional rights.
0: The country was reeling from the Oklahoma City bombing. Two men with a deep hatred for the government conspired to detonate a moving truck full of explosives in front of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building. The attack killed 168 people. It remains the deadliest act of domestic terrorism in United States history. Two men were arrested for the attack, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols. Then it came out that, before the bombing, McVeigh and Nichols had attended at least one meeting of the Michigan militia. So, less than two months after the bombing, Congress hauled in militia leaders from around the country to explain themselves.
1: We now like to call the uh, next panel uh uh, Mr. John Prockman, uh, Mr. Robert Fletcher, Mr. Ken Adams, Mr. James Johnson, and Mr. Norman Olson.
0: It was an odd sight to see some of the most prominent militia leaders file into a Capitol Hill committee room. Guys from states like Montana and Ohio who had traded their camouflage for suits and ties. And then there was the head of the Michigan militia, Norm Olson. No suit and tie for him. Olson was in full fatigues with his sleeves rolled up, camouflage hat, and a chest full of what looked like military ribbons. At the time, the Michigan militia was one of the largest paramilitary groups in the country. And Michigan was looked at as a kind of center of anti-government activity. The bombing thrust an unwelcome spotlight on a growing militia movement. Olson did not shy away from the attention though.
2: Thank you for the opportunity to testify today. The following statement will attempt to answer the question of the legitimacy and the need of the citizen militia. Not only does the constitution specifically allow the formation of a federal army, it also recognizes the inherent right of the people to form militia.
0: Olson had been spinning wild conspiracy theories about the bombing, even blaming Japan at one point and the US government. Here he is with fellow Michigander Michael Moore from Moore's 1990s satirical show, TV Nation. Why do you think
2: Oklahoma City happened? I think perhaps that there, there is a conspiracy afoot. And you think the government was involved in blowing up the Oh, yes. Oh, you yes. do? Yes. It was supposed to have gone off at 6 a.m. before the, before the building, building was occupied. Then it would have been a very powerful political statement.
1: Here's yep. my question. Tim
2: McVeigh. As soon as he was arrested, he said, I have had a chip implanted in my buttocks when I was in the service. He claimed that he was mind-controlled. The stuff out of James Bond is real.
0: It wasn't just the conspiracy theories. In interviews, Olson seemed almost sympathetic to the motives behind the bombing. Spector, a Republican, was the chair of the subcommittee, and he was angry. Both he and Democratic senators traded barbs with the militiamen during the hearing. It was a different time when there was capacity for bipartisan outrage. Here's Spector questioning Olson.
1: Mr. Olson, I heard you say on national television that you could understand why someone would bomb the Oklahoma City Federal Building. Uh, How can you say that? How can you understand why someone would bomb a building and kill so many innocent uh, men, women, and children? I don't believe that's the correct context, uh, Senator
2: Spector. I believe the context was uh, do you... when they were asking me about the dynamic that occurred during the... uh, following the bombing of the Oklahoma City Federal Building, uh, I was asked by Leslie Stahl and I responded that I understand what took place. Uh, the good senator from uh, Montana here earlier said that he understood why people hate their government. I don't think it's uncommon for us to seek understanding because unless we understand a problem, we have no way of solving it.
0: Over and over, Olson refused to condemn the bombing. Inspector wouldn't let him off the hook.
1: Well, all right, Mr. Olson, let's not deal in sound bites. Do you now understand why someone bombed the Oklahoma City Federal Building?
2: The Oklahoma City? Federal building. I would give that information to the FBI. I understand the dynamics, sir. It is up to you to do the investigation. And I feel that the FBI, for some reason, has taken seven to eight weeks to find someone who is not guilty. I think it's about time that they start looking for the ones who are guilty.
0: The hearing was a chance for senators to expose militia leaders as dangerous radicals. But it was also a chance for militia leaders to air their grievances to senators. People who represent what they see as an overbearing government.
2: The thing that we stand against is corruption. We stand against oppression and tyranny in government. And we, many of us, are coming to the conclusion that you best represent that
1: corruption
0: and tyranny. Specter didn't like that.
1: We're going to give you every opportunity to say everything you have in mind. And then I'm going to say a few things, and we're going to let the public judge. And I don't take lightly your comment to me that I represent corruption. I don't take that lightly at all. Well, let me say it again. And I want you to prove it, if you're going to
0: say that. It was a long hearing, and the militia leaders indeed got their say. In the end, though, it was a disaster for the militia movement. Fairly or unfairly, they were successfully linked to the Oklahoma City bombing, even if the link was indirect. They lost members. Olson got chased out of the Michigan militia, and the whole movement splintered and went even more underground. Six years later as the execution of bomber Timothy McVeigh neared, the anti-extremist Southern Poverty Law Center wrote an obituary for the movement. The group wrote that his death would serve as a, quote, bookend to the militia phenomenon, marking the dying gasps of a movement. But it was far from the end. It also wouldn't be the last time a domestic terror investigation would put Michigan militia members in an uncomfortable spotlight. (laughs) I'm Heath Drusen and this is Extremely American. A look inside militias and other far-right groups that are trying to remake America in their absolutist image. Episode 4, Voila, Militia. Lee, come on in. Hey, sorry. The numbers are uh, a little confusing. Yeah, the- Lee Miracle greets me at the door as he greets all guests, with a sidearm on his hip. This is not where you'd expect to find a grizzled militia leader. We're at a condo development in a Detroit suburb. Nearby, there's a little man-made pond and tennis courts. It's across from a strip mall, just down the street from a Golden Corral and a Longhorn Steakhouse. Once we're inside, though, it makes a little more sense. Miracle's cramped apartment is bursting with firearms. That's just an old uh, old double-barrel shotgun. I don't even know if I'd shoot that right now, but it was really cheap, and I thought, well, it could be a wall hanger. And while this decidedly suburban home seems like an unlikely place for a militia leader, it turns out that a lot of the guys in the early days of the movement were from Detroit and nearby towns. And Miracle is one of them. He was there pretty much on day one, same time Norm Olson, that guy in the hearing, was getting started. We got started just a couple of months after Norm Olson started the whole thing. So that would
3: be. Uh, we started in September of '94. Uh, like I think it was a Tuesday after Labor Day, we had our first meeting, and it just it just seemed like a response to, um, you know, Ruby Ridge and Waco were uh, uh, abuses. And hey, guys, <laughs> what, what have we got up there? Those are my guinea pigs. That's uh, Banshee and Potato Skins. Let me just throw him something to eat.
0: We're briefly interrupted by Miracle's quarreling guinea pigs. There's a shy rabbit too. It was lurking quietly behind his chair during our interview. Miracle mentioned Ruby Ridge and Waco, and it's important to talk about those events before we continue. The factors that combined to push the rise of the militia movement in the 1990s were complex, but I would argue the modern militia movement might not have taken off without those two disasters. First came Ruby Ridge, Idaho, in 1992.
3: You call yourself an American? These are Americans!
0: These are God-fearing people! You don't even know your constitution! Go
3: back and read what your
0: founding fathers... It took place at a remote cabin in the wooded mountains of North Idaho, up near the Canadian border. That's where white supremacist Randy Weaver and his family lived. Weaver was wanted for selling illegal, sawed-off shotguns, and when federal agents showed up, things went sideways in a hurry. Early on, Randy Weaver's 14 year old son and a U.S. Marshal were killed in a shootout. Then, an FBI sniper accidentally killed Weaver's wife while she was holding their infant daughter. That sparked an 11 day standoff. A collection of anti government activists and white supremacists then gathered near the standoff to protest federal agents.
3: Eventually,
0: Weaver surrendered. That debacle understandably pissed a lot of people off. They saw the weapons charges as flimsy and the response as government-sanctioned murder. And while Ruby Ridge was bad, what really put people over the top was Waco.
3: Under the blistering Texas sun, investigators comb the smoldering remains of the Branch Davidian compound.
0: The siege of the Branch Davidian compound began in late February 1993. The Branch Davidians were an apocalyptic cult led by a man named David Koresh. Koresh was accused of sexually abusing children, but it was again guns that brought out the feds. The cult was stockpiling illegal weapons. And like at Ruby Ridge, they went sideways quickly. First, there was a gunfight that left four federal agents and six cult members dead. Here's a 911 call from a branch Davidian inside the compound.
1: Hello? Hello. Yeah, this is Lieutenant Lynch. May I help you? Yeah, there's 75 men around our building and they're shooting at us in Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel? Yeah, tell them their children and women in here and to call it off. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, hello? I hear gunfire. Oh shit.
0: Hello? The shootout led to a 51-day siege that ended with the feds lobbing tear gas canisters at the compound, which then caught fire. 76 people, including many children and two pregnant women, died in the compound. The cause of the blaze is disputed, but either way, it was a tragic fiasco. It outraged people across the country. For many already distrustful of government, it sent them over the edge. Back in his suburban condo with his guinea pigs and shy rabbit, Miracle reflected on the Waco siege.
3: Most of my co-workers, if not all of them, were clearly terrified and and horrified by what we had watched. In fact, one of the guys had a little small portable black and white TV, which was the leading edge of technology back then. And we actually watched Waco as it happened.
0: It's hard to overstate how galvanizing Ruby Ridge and Waco were for people like Miracle and plenty who came after. These disasters come up over and over again in conversations with Patriot movement leaders and followers. Both took place nearly 30 years ago, but for people in the movement, it's like it was yesterday. Miracle said for him and his buddies, the sieges sent a clear message. They needed to defend themselves against what they saw as murderous government thugs. We
3: have due process. Well, I mean, if they came to
0: my door and I
3: knew that I wasn't going to get due process and I knew they were going to come with the intent to kill me, I would have to fight
0: back. I'd rather not do it by myself. And, and voila, militia. It was September 1994 in his old house in Detroit. And it was sort of a historic moment. We had the meeting in my living room.
3: And we didn't know if we could even have that meeting. Like, is this
0: meeting even legal? The guys in his living room, they decided it was legal. They also decided they'd form an armed group to protect each other from the government. They'd eventually be called the Southeastern Michigan Volunteer Militia. And for Miracle, voila, militia leader. Not too far away, Miracle's buddy Norm Olson from the Senate hearing was also getting guys organized with their own militia. Olsen and Miracle were creating wings of the Michigan militia right at the beginning of the modern militia movement. You've probably heard of the Michigan militia. May evoke images of dudes with guns in the woods. And that's not wrong. Miracle's is out in the woods doing weapons training with his guys just about every month. When I ask him what the point of his group is, he says the militia is first and foremost a defensive movement. We don't
3: want Americans to be massacred by their government. So we thought that that instead of actually getting into an violent armed conflict, if we just exist,
0: that might have a deterrent effect. So I think maybe the idea was to deter tyranny. Like a lot of people in the movement, though, he reveres some groups that take a decidedly offensive posture, like the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, that set off car bombs and killed many civilians in their fight against the British.
3: I am definitely not knocking the IRA. Maybe some of their tactics are are questionable, but but as a group, you have a tiny group very tiny group, tying down multiple British divisions at
0: one point, And we're really talking a few hundred people. Miracle is an Army veteran, and back when he had that fateful living room meeting, he was a 27-year-old postal worker. I know, there's some irony in a government employee being at the forefront of the militia movement. Nowadays, Miracle's beard is graying, but he's still fit, still gets out in the snow leading his group in weapons training. And he gets a twinkle in his eye when talking about the movement. He's seen this group through major ups and downs. Just as the movement was hitting its stride after Ruby Ridge and Waco, the Oklahoma City bombing happened. Members bailed left and right, wanting nothing to do with being connected to domestic terrorism, fairly or unfairly. That led to a long period in the shadows for a lot of militias. But Miracle stuck with it throughout, and now he's seeing a resurgence in interest.
3: We've waxed and waned since then. We've grown and contracted, and it depends on who's in office, and it depends on. What's the state of affairs in the country? And we're right now kind of on an uptick, I think, because of uh, our current administration and their tendency to make announcements about what firearms you can and cannot own.
0: Yeah, firearms. That's a subject that comes up over and over again in our talk. Gun rights is Miracle's driving force, has been since he started in the movement, and it's really been the foundational issue for militias all along. Like, there's a reason they're the guys with guns. Miracle says his militia has several hundred members these days and that they're more politically active and informed than they were in the 1990s. We're a lot less bubbled than we were maybe in the beginning. And, and I, I don't I don't mean that it
3: sounds negative, but I mean, I think now we're more cerebral. We think about things. I mean, you know, we encourage people to read Sun Tzu and Musashi and uh, uh, Marcus Aurelius too. You know, Sun Tzu said the, the best battle is the one you don't have to fight. And I think that's what we're looking for.
0: If Ruby Ridge and Waco sparked the growth of the militia movement in the 1990s, COVID-19 has been a major factor in the movement's more recent public activity. Interesting groups like Miracles have surged, with many on the far right angered by lockdown measures. States across the country saw anti-lockdown protests. It made Michigan once again the center of attention for the militia movement, when armed protesters started showing up to the Capitol building in Lansing. We
3: can win. We've already won.
0: Most of the vitriol was aimed at the state's Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer. Then, on April 30th, it escalated. The crowd stormed the Michigan Capitol. Among them were a lot of armed militia members. Some of them connected with Miracle's group. In a video uploaded to YouTube, you can see protesters, many with rifles, yelling at police inside the Capitol, trying to get deeper into the building. The crowd chants about tyranny, some do mock Nazi salutes, they call the cops holding them back cowards. There was no violence that day, but it freaked out lawmakers and made national news. Keep in mind, this was eight months before the January 6th riot at the United States Capitol building. A lot of people were horrified by the images of an armed mob storming the Michigan Capitol building. But not the state senate majority leader, Mike Shirkey, who was asked about it on the Bart Hawley show. The militia groups are getting a bad rap because when they do have a protest,
1: and when they're assembled, they have they have a, a real purpose, and I think a sincere purpose, but then there's tagalongs, folks that wanna get detention, folks that wanna get their photo taken with a noose on a Barbie doll, for instance. Those aren't the militia groups, um, but it's hard for the militia groups to prove that, okay? And so I chose to do something that the state police have told me it's never been done before, and that is, asked to meet with the leaders
0: of the militia groups. And uh, members, the leaders, the so-called leaders of of three of the groups met in my office. For a movement that historically condemned both parties and was condemned by them as well, this was a jarring validation of militias for many. I reached out to Shirky's office multiple times for comment, but never heard back. A few months after Shirky's remarks, some of the militiamen who stormed the Capitol were connected to something far darker.
4: State and federal investigators say they've broken up this elaborate domestic terror plot designed to overthrow Michigan's government and kidnap or kill Governor
0: Gretchen Whitmer. In October 2020, more than a dozen militia members were arrested for an alleged plot to kidnap Whitmer, a Democrat. Many were connected to a group called the Wolverine Watchmen. The shocking details reverberated around the country. See, in a lot of ways, Michigan is simultaneously the beginning and nightmare next chapter of the militia story. It's where like minded skeptics coalesced around an idea of defending themselves against the government, but it's also where radicals have taken those ideas to violent ends. Court documents claim the plotters had scoped out the governor's homes. Here's Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel talking to NPR.
4: They were at the point where they were they were in the process of um of training for it and had multiple exercises. So obviously we felt as though they were close enough in time uh, that there could be, you know, actual actions, actual uh, efforts to execute these plots. And to me, what I always say is I would rather have the weakest conspiracy case rather than the strongest homicide. Uh, Now, this is not a weak conspiracy case at all whatsoever. I think it's a very strong case. But obviously we were concerned that the governor's life was actually in jeopardy.
0: Nessel pointed out that some of the plotters were at that protest at the Michigan Capitol building six months earlier.
4: Many of these individuals that were charged were, were at that protest. I think that those protests, those protests were used actually uh, as re- recruiting stations to add more members.
0: The plotters even allegedly discussed a possible murder-suicide mission, where one of them would ambush Whitmer at her vacation home, shoot her in the head, and kill himself. They also allegedly floated the idea of storming the Capitol and arresting politicians, then televising their executions. The Michigan militia movement was facing another Oklahoma City moment. But this time, it would be different. Unlike in 1995, militia leaders were not hauled before Congress. Far from it. Then President Donald Trump tweeted that Whitmer had done a, quote, terrible job and criticized her COVID-19 pandemic restrictions. Eventually, in tweet number three, he did condemn, quote, extreme violence. Sunita Dodamani was more clear in her denunciation. She heads the Hate Crimes and Domestic Terrorism Unit for Michigan's attorney general. But she wasn't all that surprised. The alleged kidnapping plot is just the most high profile of
5: many such threats Dodamani has seen. The kinds of things I'm dealing with in my office are threats to public officials, a lot of them, um, which kind of started close to the election time last year, as well as militia extremism.
0: Dodamani is a lifelong Detroiter, so she felt the state's militia history from a young age. And she's been alarmed by the resurgence of the movement in Michigan. Dodomani can't talk much about the kidnap case because her office is involved, but she's seen two trends in particular that worry her. One is armed protesters claiming to provide security.
5: If a militia wants to go out into the woods and shoot a bunch of guns, there's nothing wrong with that. But if a militia wants to act like a bunch of vigilantes, and enforce the law like police officers, then that's a problem.
0: Another worry is the armed protest at the Michigan Capitol. She says she's not just worried about potential physical harm to
5: people. There's a long-term concern, too. What that does ultimately is erode the foundations of democracy because threats to public officials means that you're You know, it's intimidation of public officials. And when you intimidate public officials who are elected to do their job into not doing their job or not taking the stances that they're doing, and there's no consequences for these individuals that are doing that, then it really does erode the foundations of our democracy.
0: Lee Miracle, he does not share these concerns. He actually knows a couple of the guys arrested, though the alleged plotters are not connected to Miracle's militia. But Miracle doesn't buy the plot. He thinks it was largely a setup. He points to the robust role of informants and actual FBI agents who had infiltrated the group. And there is some truth to that. Informants and FBI agents were involved in conversations about the plot with those who were arrested.
3: The latest Governor Whitmer whole kidnapping plot fiasco is coming apart. To use a military term, like a soup sandwich. If every person that said, I hate that bitch, got arrested, you'd have half the state locked up right now. Okay, so I mean, hating somebody isn't a crime.
0: The kidnap cases are ongoing, and it's hard to know right now how close we really were to an attack on a sitting governor. Court documents, though, they paint a picture of pretty willing participants and some very violent plans. And it was all apparently in an effort to stop what they saw as tyranny. Do you worry at all about when people talk about hating the governor and tyranny and especially treason for which, as you all know, the penalty can be death do you worry about talk like that potentially radicalizing people who might take things a little farther than somebody like you? I, I hope
3: not. I, I tell everybody, I said we currently have, and again, back to the whole due process, look, the, the Supreme Court checked the governor, the state Supreme Court checked her on a couple of cases. We had a, a recall petition, and there's an election coming up next year. I mean, there are mechanisms that do not involve kidnapping that can put her in her place.
0: But the alleged kidnap plotters took action on what they saw as a threat to the Constitution. It's the same kind of threat Miracle talks about. You don't see it happening in the near future, conflict with the government. But I mean, do you see that happening down the road? We never know. I mean, you never know.
3: Uh, you get somebody elected and they say, well, you know, the next election, I'm not going to leave
0: or. I mean, that almost happened this last election.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, there's that's something to consider. Uh, I, I didn't think it was going to happen. Uh, I actually didn't think—I didn't think the election was very legitimate. I watched it happen overnight. I mean, I stayed up and watched the, we're all going to stop counting, and I've never seen an election where they stopped counting at 2 o'clock in the morning.
0: There was no nationwide halt to the vote counting. There were some state counts that went to the next day, but there's no evidence of fraud. It was kind of a moment of clarity for me. Like, Donald Trump. He did the thing. All these militia guys say they would mobilize if a president tried to stay in office after losing. Trump did that. He tried to convince his allies to overturn the election. He falsely claimed he won. He still does. A lot of people saw it as an attempted coup. Militias had mobilized against COVID restrictions, but they did not mobilize against Trump. Crickets. A lot of followers like Miracle even pushed Trump's lie. Some actually showed up on January 6 to support Trump staying on. And that is a big thing that has changed since the 90s. Back then, sure, the militias were part of the far right, but they were still getting grilled by mainstream Republicans. Militia members had a cynical take on both political parties. That's changed. These days, militia guys are being embraced by a lot of elected Republicans, or at least not pushed away. And these once nonpartisan militia groups, they're choosing the Republican side too. Next time on Extremely American. Amon Bundy turns a poorly attended meeting about COVID restrictions into a full-blown movement. He's recruiting for a revolution and is ready to break things to get his way. If then at that point they push it to the point where we have to defend ourselves enough that
1: they call it a civil war, then it is justified.
0: Extremely American was created by me, Heath Drusen. Story editing by Morgan Springer. Mixing and sound engineering by James Dawson. Original music by Micah Huang. Additional music from Artlist. Kim Palmero is Editor-in-Chief and CEO of Post-Industrial Media. Thanks also to Boise State Public Radio, the exclusive public radio sponsor for this podcast. I hope you'll take a second to rate and review this podcast on whatever app you're using to listen. It helps other people find us. This podcast is made possible through the Candida Fund. Learn more at k-e-n-d-e-d-a dot org. And from the Joyce Foundation, joycefdn.org. With support from the Forbes Funds, at ForbesFunds.org. For photos from this series and some companion articles, head over to PostIndustrial.com.
5: This podcast was produced in partnership with PostIndustrial
0: Media. PostIndustrial covers people, culture, and ideas for post-industrial communities around the world. Visit postindustrial.com to learn how you can join
2: the post-industrial community.